This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Welcome to this episode where we talk about fly fishing in and around the holidays. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm no trout biologist, but I do know that trout don't know it's the holidays. So they aren't going to respond differently to you if you happen to fish on December 25th or you happen to fish on January 1st. However, I think there are some very good reasons to get out around those days. Notice, I'm not saying on those days. However, you choose to celebrate is up to you, I suppose. But there are some good reasons to get out around those days, and I think it will pay off both in the results of your fishing and in your experience fishing. So we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the the actual nuts and bolts of getting on the water as well as maybe the experience and the appreciation. So my hope is that this podcast, short 20 to 25 minutes, will be encouragement for you to maybe integrate fly fishing into your holiday season. So if you don't have plans already, maybe you can make plans. If you have plans, but this sounds like better plans, then maybe these can be those better plans. Now, of course, I'm not advocating skipping out on family activities. If you have a special movie that everyone has to watch, then that's really important. But maybe you can not watch the sequel, because who, who wants to do that? So I'm going to talk about a few different reasons why I think it's worth getting out. Moreover, than it's always worth getting out if you can get out to fish. But you can always guarantee a certain level of solitude when you go fishing around special days. Now, this just isn't a thing for the holiday season. This is true year-round. I've talked before about how I used to time my eerie steelhead trips around Steelers games. There were so many less people on the water in those awesome 
kind of twilight hours when the Steelers had a four o'clock kickoff. Now, given it was only like, you know, between 2.30 and 3 o'clock up until dark, but the volume was reduced significantly as far as anglers that were on the water. Same thing, I would fish around State College when Penn State was playing. And there's a couple of the people that were there, and you, you could tell they thought, okay, I, I was anticipating having this to myself, and I was I was anticipating having this to myself. But there's still a whole lot less people on the water when when that's happening. So again, I am not saying, you know what, Christmas morning, wake up, go fishing, forsake the kids, and, and you'll have the water to yourself while all those other rubes are stuck around the Christmas tree. That's not what I'm saying at all. But there, because there's a lot of other stuff happening in the days immediately preceding and the days following Christmas, even in the weekends that are adjacent to the holidays, where you can get out and get on the water and you know, you've been doing stuff with your family. You've doing been doing your last minute preparations. You've been finalizing stuff you need to finalize at work in anticipation of leaving for maybe a couple days or for a week. Other people have those same obligations as well. And so we're not all on the exact same schedule. So you can get out maybe two days before, maybe two days after, maybe Christmas Eve morning, maybe late in the afternoon on Christmas Day if there's nothing going on. You can get out and get on the water and probably have that water to yourself because this is a time of year when, of course, depending on where you live, really Mason-Dixon line up, the weather isn't super great. So you're going to have a reduced angler quantity on the water to begin with. Then you add in all the other holiday stuff going on. And having the the, the days off and, and the holidays and, and the vacation and things like that for the average angler isn't enough for them to immediately say, hey, it's below freezing, but I'm going to get out on the water because I have the day off. A lot of people just choose not to fish, and that's totally fine. But if you want to give it a shot or if this is something that that you've already done, then this is a great time to get out and exercise this because you don't only have the water to yourself, and that's awesome. I would rather fish over pressured fish by myself than fish over eager fish with a lot of other people. Does that make sense? I would rather work harder to catch a fish and be the only angler out there than be with a bunch of other people and catch fish that might be coming a little more willingly. That might not make a lot of sense. That might sound elitist. That might sound like I have a wacky set of priorities, but that's just my preference. I, I like to, to be in the woods by myself, and I know I'm not. I know that there might be an angler just around the bend. I know that I very well may have pulled in uh, just as the dust was settling from the previous guy who was out there as he drove out of the parking spot. I, I get that, but that's just that's my preference, and so this time of year is great for it. But that translates into fish that aren't seeing as many anglers also. And so that means you're going to be able to fish over fish that haven't been seeing as many flies as they would have maybe two months prior, or maybe that they will just in a couple months in the future. Now, given it's the middle of winter, so you're going to have to employ all those tactics that are necessary to pursue trout or whatever other species that you're fishing in those cold weather months. Now, I think it bears mentioning, although hopefully if, if you've listened to the podcast or read the website, you know that we're all about environmental stewardship. We're all about conservation. We're all about taking care of the resource. So that means that if these fish are in sort of ecosystem or stream that is going to be stressed out under severe cold conditions, 
then you shouldn't be taking advantage of that. Uh, we're going to be talking about the seasons and the seasonality of everything, especially as it relates to the spawn here in a few minutes. But if that's an issue, then you need to stay away from that as well. And, of course, if you're catching fish and, and you are playing fish and you're handling fish in the coldest of weather, then you need to employ those best practices of keeping the fish wet and out of that cold air. Because as bad as it is under normal circumstances, and you know that I'm not like a crazy stickler about that, but it, it's something to be even more aware of in the wintertime about handling fish out of the water. So all of that said, if you practice good stewardship of the resource, you can get out and you are going to have to slow things down a little bit. Uh, it is a great opportunity to fish large flies slowly. It's also a great opportunity to fish tiny flies on the top of the water where you're going to have some insect activity. There are spectacular blooming olive hatches and midge hatches through the coldest weather months. If you stop at, at a stream side and you sit down in the snow uh, or, or the ice, you will be amazed at how many bugs are actually crawling around on the snow. Uh, and again, of course, this, this changes from, uh, from stream to stream, but there's a really neat ecosystem right on the stream bank where if you're in the middle of a field, there's a good chance you're not going to see a whole lot of bugs crawling on snow. But if you're on a stream bank, and that water is lapping up against that snow, and there are there's substrate and there's rocks uh, a matter of inches away from the, the snow on the stream side, there's going to be insects that are going to be moving back and forth and that are going to be landing on that stream side snow. And if they're landing on the stream side snow, you can guarantee that they're also landing on the water. Or, probably more appropriately, they're emerging out of that water. And so what are those fish doing? Those fish are taking advantage of those soft, juicy, emerging insects. They're not going to be chasing them as much because their metabolism isn't going to like doing that much moving in that cold of water. But if they have some sort of thermal refuge, if you're able to find some place where there's a spring seep, so we often think of springs as being cold, but in the wintertime, springs are actually warm. Or if there's a feeder creek or you're fishing the mouth where a smaller, colder creek flows into a warmer river, these are the kind of places where fish are going to congregate because even if they can get a few degrees advantage, they're going to take it. And that's where the insects are also going to be more active under normal circumstances. So slowing things down because the fish aren't going to want to chase and going larger, and this maybe sounds simplistic, but this is kind of my theory. I fish bigger streamers slowly and I fish smaller flies on the top. That's generally the way it goes. So I fish, and I would say big nymphs also, tumble a big stonefly if there's stoneflies in that system, or dead drift a big chunky streamer and maintain a, a little bit of a tight line. So you're almost tight line nymphing only using a heavy streamer and allowing that thing to tumble. And so it looks like some sort of bait fish that suffered some unfortunate situation. Maybe it itself has had some uh, uh, thermal shocking and it's, it's not responding super well. Those fish don't know what's happening, but they know that that is an easy meal that's tumbling. And so you might find a predatory fish that's going to take advantage of that tumbling bait fish imitation or, or some other large fly, like a large nymph that gets dislodged because they are looking for the most bang for their buck when they are chasing after flies this time of year. But there's also a lot of fun to be had of fishing very still and very slow midges and midge emergers as droppers, fishing multiple flies on the surface or just subsurface with very, very light tippet. 
it's going to be fish that are going to be sitting and just sipping flies or they're not probably not going to be cruising as much but they're going to be looking for things that are drifting along because things are hatching things are emerging all the time and it's like i said it's easy to find it in in the winter time uh, almost more so in the summertime because it's really hard to find some sort of insect crawling around in leaf litter but uh, contrasted against the snow anything whether it be cream colored or all the way up to black across the spectrum you're gonna be able to see that thing crawling on the stream bank snow and be able to say ah this is what's coming off this is something that i can put on and probably get into some fish because there is uh, although the, the, a diversity of, of insect life just like the, the fish life and, and all the other animals it's going to be there uh, year round you're able to isolate what is happening a lot easier in the winter time uh, things slow down there's not going to be the diversity of insect activity although the the, the the insects are going to all be present in that ecosystem year round and this kind of leads into the the second thing that I wanted to talk about uh, aside from solitude and, and how to fish when you're fishing over these these wintertime fish and there's a lot more winter fly fishing resources uh, on the podcast and on castingacross.com but there's a chance, depending on where you're fishing, if you're fishing somewhere, uh, and, and like where, where I fish, uh, I fish in Massachusetts and in New Hampshire and in Maine and then in the Mid-Atlantic, some of the areas that have more wild trout fisheries that have a real seasonality to them that are primarily brook trout fisheries close down anywhere from September to October and they don't open back up until maybe January or maybe early springtime. And the reason for this is that the state uh, departments of conservation or fish and wildlife, they want to establish a nice strong buffer to allow those fish to not only spawn, but then to protect their reds and their eggs to give them the best chance of having the highest yield rate. So even though the spawn might be over in the middle of month X, they give it an extra month so that those little fish can uh, have a chance to incubate and get out and begin their life um, unmolested by wading boots and by people pursuing their their fish parents uh, so that they may potentially offer a little more protection over the course of those uh, integral first few months. But once you finally get out on the water, do what I was talking about earlier. Take a look at what's going on. Don't rely on that last fly that you were using that might still be on the end of your, your leader from when you went fishing in the fall. Start over. I think that's such an, an, an important part of fishing seasonally is not getting stuck with what you did last time. You know, we know how m much we change our patterns and our techniques over the course of a season when we're fishing frequently it might be incrementally we might use one fly a lot in the first week and then we start to shift to a second fly but we're still using that first fly because it's still producing but then that second fly takes over as the predominant pattern that we're using and i know this is a, a kind of a gross overstatement and generalization of, of how we fish but it, but it is kind of true. But you take a couple months off because you have to because the waters are closed, and now everything is very, very different. So don't rely on that last thing that you are fishing. But take advantage of that water opening back up if that water has been closed. Uh, that is a, a great opportunity to get out there, especially if it's in the middle of winter. You know, there's a lot of, of trout fisheries that do have a springtime opening day, and that has to do with, with a number of reasons. It depends on the different fish that are in the water and how that state or that region is managing it. But there are a, a number of, of states that open up on January 1st. Uh, 
or if not opening on January 1st, that's when your new license takes effect. There's some states that go on a 12-month basis. Some states go on a calendar basis. And for me, that was always a fun way to kind of ring in the new year. A friend and I would go camping on New Year's Eve. I mean, honestly, I would rather camp in the snow and wake up really early and go get a fishing license than watch celebrities be ridiculous on TV to midnight for some ridiculous reason because it's going to be midnight and it's going to be January 1st whether I'm there to watch it or not. But this goes back to the days when online licenses were the thing. I mean, I love being able to buy a license online. It's so convenient. All your information is saved on there with a few taps of a button and entering your credit card. Now you have a new license and you can go down the list and click that you want this stamp and you want this permit and you want to add these hunting things to it. It's fantastic. I love the convenience. But it does kind of lose some of the charm and the aesthetic and the tradition of having that paper license that you got to have an interaction with somebody at the fly shop. And I still have a number of old paper licenses that have the signatures of, of you know, men and women who have actually passed on or that I've just, I, I'm not in contact anymore, but were people that I had lots of conversations with and lots of interactions with over the year at the fly shops back when we used to have paper, uh, pen and paper licenses. And then you had other cool things like Pennsylvania had their trout stamp program where it was an actual illustration or a painting that got shrunk down into a little stamp that you had to lick and put on your license and then sign over it. And I've kept all of those things. Uh, I think it was probably right around 2000, 2001, Pennsylvania switched over to these kind of gaudy neon yellow uh, ticker tape kind of things that you got at the, at the fly shop before they, they switched to, to doing it primarily online. But you can still have kind of that tradition of saying, all right, I bought my license online. I might even bought it in like early December, but I'm going to go out and fish on the first day, even for a few hours, even to just kind of literally wet my line and and wet my feet into to this new year of fishing. And that seasonality and that tradition is a kind of thing that you can tie to the holidays. You can, you can tether your activity to something that is already very good. So you think about all of your holiday traditions and you should probably have some sort of primacy. What's most important? So for me, it's it's the worship component. I mean, that's why I celebrate Christmas. Presents are good, family is good, food is good, fishing is good. But 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 Christmas is primarily about the incarnation and big secret, you know, that's actually why everyone celebrates Christmas. That's the whole reason, but that's neither here nor there. Actually, it's, it's a lot of here and there, but for me, that's the top priority, right? And then you have time with family, and then you have the gift giving, and you have the meals, and you have the other auxiliary activities that, that go on around that. Well, why not integrate getting outdoors? Christmas is about celebrating. It's about celebrating one very specific thing that has implications to the rest of my life, but the rest of my life includes getting outside, getting outside by myself, getting outside with my family. So why not make that a part of this kind of you know season-long celebration? Starts a couple days before Christmas, goes a couple days after New Year's. Uh, generally, I kind of take that time in between the, the those two holidays off, and so there's ample opportunity for me to do all of the things that I want to do with my family for my, my job in ministry and be able to get outside in some way. So I might as well, if, if I can, if it's not an imposition on anyone or I'm, I'm taking away something, get out on the water just a little bit and make that a part of what I do as I celebrate the season. And, of course, there's no reason why you can't add people into that. You, you can make it a New Year's Day tradition. 
you can make it a day after Christmas tradition. You can make it a Wednesday in between the 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 weekends tradition. W- whatever it might be, you can you can add that into your family's routine. Now that might not work for you for the stages and ages of of where you and your family are in life, but it may very well be a part of it. It could be the thing where You've got some sort of Dan Fogelberg situation where you're back in town and a high school friend is back in town and uh, instead of sitting in a parking lot, you go fishing. Maybe you used to go fishing. Maybe it's just a a way to get outside and walk through the woods and and spend time with somebody you haven't seen in a long time. Maybe it is a cousin or a nephew or an in-law where you're able to get out and do something a little bit different. Have some one-on-one time. The guys maybe get out. The girls maybe get out. Whatever it might be, it's a way to add something different. It, it takes you out from in front of the television. takes you away from maybe the crazy. Uh, it takes you away from the busy, busy, busy of the kitchen, and it puts you in something a little bit more tranquil, something a little bit more peaceful, and it, it, it rounds it out. It's not better than those things. It rounds out what you're doing. It it adds a different component to it. And it can maybe be a tradition, not to supplant something, but to to add on to all the good things that you're doing already. So think about it. How could you maybe integrate fly fishing into your holiday celebration, your Christmas, your New Year, the time before, between, and after those holidays? I think there's a lot of great opportunities. The fishing is there. The fishing is an option. Assuming that your water is open, not iced over, and legal to fish, then get out there and go after it. But even if it isn't, why not go for a walk? Throw on the snowshoes. Throw on the the, the mud boots. Get out there and walk along that stream. See what's happening. Watch those fish. And maybe if you say, you know what, I'm just not going to get wet. I'm not going to get cold. I'm not going to put my waders on. I'm not going to haul all my gear down to the in-laws' house to, to go fishing this, this season. Okay, bring your boots. And I guarantee you, as you're walking that stream and you're watching that water and you might even see a few fish, you're going to say, ah, I wish I did bring that stuff because it'd be fun just to cast a line. It'd be fun to, to, to get my feet wet. It'd be fun to get that license and say, you know what? I started fishing in January, maybe even January 1st this year. It's not the most important thing, but it's an, an important thing. Do you have any family holiday or individual holiday fly fishing traditions? Let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. I'd love to hear about it. Uh, I, I, I have my own more things I haven't shared on this podcast, but if you, again, look through the archives of the website or the podcast, you will see me and hear me talking about those things in other places. This week on castingacross.com, trout and feather December 21. That's the first article, Trout and Feather December 21. This is my installment of my article over on Tim Camisa's Trout and Feather website. Awesome fly tying content. And so in this post, I share two videos from Tim. One is some awesome practical, like best things to buy uh, advice. Another one is Tim being silly, but there's something good about someone being silly on, on, in fly fishing. Uh, and then I share an article called uh, Thousands of Words. So it talks about fly fishing pictures, talks about uh, maybe what's more important than just snapping a bunch of pictures on your cell phone camera and how that you can and actually hold on to more memories if you take another step. So check that out both on my website, uh, castingacross.com and troutandfeather.com, Tim's website. And then Wednesday's article was called Achieving Punctuated Tranquility. Achieving Punctuated Tranquility. So I was talking a minute ago about how it's good to just get outside and walk a stream bank. Uh, there's so many things that we can do to fill ourselves up with being outdoors. For me, 
going fishing is not just about catching fish, which is great because I don't always catch fish. It's about being outside. And I was outside a lot more this fall and continue to be into the end of, of duck season by just sitting on a stream bank or a edge of a pond or in a kayak waiting for ducks to fly overhead. And it has really helped improve and expand my experience of observing what's going on around me in the woods and in the water, even in the exact same places that I sometimes fish. So I talk about that tranquility that is so essential to our experience outside, even though it's often punctuated by uh, a lot of, of wild action with a fly rod or the shotgun. This week's recommendation on the podcast is to go to your local fly shop. If you are looking to find someone a last-minute gift, you can do it on Amazon and hope that Prime comes through with two-day shipping. And I actually have an article back in the archives about how there are a lot of great outdoor and fly fishing things that you can get in a hurry on Prime. But what's even better than that is to walk into a fly shop and look around the counter, look uh, in, uh, in the aisles, see what you can find that is just a fun little gift as a stocking stuffer, a last-minute thing for somebody who is an outdoors person or a fly fishing person. Or if you have a really good fly shop in your area, they're going to have other stuff too. They're going to have local things. They're going to have other outdoor equipment. And just pick something up, patronize your local fly shop. I know that they'll appreciate it, and it's a great way to ensure that they're going to be around in the springtime offering the kind of things that you need to get out on the water. So wherever you live, wherever you fish, wherever you shop, try to mix in a stop at your local fly shop this holiday season as you are wrapping up your gift giving, or any time of year for that matter. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.